Welcome to the Recruitment Flex with Serge and Shelly. I'm Serge. And I'm Shelly. And we talk all things recruitment starting right now. Welcome to another week of the Recruitment Flex. I'm Serge Boudreaux, joined by Shelly Billinghurst. How's it going, Shelly? It's going well, Serge. It really is. I wish everyone at home could see you right now. Because Serge is, for the second time since we started um, the lockdown or pandemic, he's wearing a shirt with a collar on it. I tell you, he looks so smart. He almost looks like a professor. I I wish everyone could see you. I am dressed up for you. Uh, And and actually, me and Shelly are meeting up after this podcast. This is the first time that we have met face-to-face in probably two years. So I have to look good. All right. <laughs> I have to impress Shelly. Oh, you always impress me, Serge. You're right. Do you know, I think I was trying to think back the last time we were in person, but it feels like we're always together. I'm sure there's times you get sick of talking to me. <laughs> yeah, that happens a lot, but that's okay. <laughs> Thank you for enduring. You're, so you're what's just, new in your world, Shelly? Oh, I wanted to chat about something that reminded me of my boys when they were little. Maybe I'm feeling reminiscent because they both graduated this year, but all over the headlines right now is Jennifer Lopez is back together with Ben Affleck. 17 years ago, they dated and the press just went bananas. Everywhere you turn was stuff about Jennifer Lopez and Ben Affleck. And my son Chandler at the time would have been like five years old. And I used to say to him, Chandler, when you grow up, who are you going to marry? And he would look at me and just dead serious. He would go, Jennifer Lopez. (laughs) (laughs) So now she's back in the press again with Ben Affleck. Like at that time, it just seems so like the press. I don't know what headlines. I don't know what headlines you're reading because I have not seen a thing about Jennifer Lopez or Ben Affleck. Come on, I'm not like. Do you honestly do you buy your groceries online? Like you don't physically uh, go to the grocery store? No, my wife goes. I haven't gone oh, to the grocery store in a long time. Yes, Are yes. you judging by what you're seeing at, at tabloids. the cash register? Tabloids. Like the, it's all over the tabloids. That's not headlines. That's what are you talking tabloids. about? Headlines. Oh, come on. Come on. The National Enquirer is not a headline. Come no, on. It, no, not National Enquirer. I don't think that's even sold. So we what see is it? that anywhere. People's Magazine. Yeah. Front okay. cover. Well, we have different news priorities, it looks like, because that's my I'll guilty you, pleasure is People Magazine. Is it? Okay. So uh, I'm very excited because, again, for the third time, Canada has the fastest man in the world. So you might say 1988, we had the fastest man in the world, mm-hmm. but he got caught doping and he gave the medal to the American Carl Lewis who was doping as well for any Americans out there that think he won it legitimately. <laughs> he was doping. So no doubt about that. Then Donovan Bailey. Then this morning I was up at 6.30 to watch our man, Andre DeGrasse, win the gold medal in the 200 meters. He won the bronze in the 100 meters. So he's the only one from the 100 meter field that was able mm-hmm. to run in the 200 and qualified. So I'm giving the title of the fastest man in the world is once again, Canadian. So I've been following. <laughs> the Olympics. My oldest daughter absolutely loves it. Uh, and it's given really? her what is it about it? Sports. She Just loves watching the, the competition, watching the competitions okay. and pretending she is in the competition as well. Like we oh, that is adorable. I, it oh is the cutest. Oh and then God. I the race, she actually so she goes outside on the patio, and when the starter gun goes, 
she starts running and she runs <laughs> around the yard and oh, then she Lord. comes back. She's like, did I win the race? And I hope you're videotaping this. Oh my gosh. Those are those little moments that as they get older, you'll forget. You will forget because there's so many cute little moments of kids. I love seeing her love the Olympics because it's great conversations that we have about how these people got there and how much dedication and hard work and all they had to do to get to that level. Mm -hmm. I think it instills the best in people. When we talk about role models, like Ben Affleck and Jennifer Lopez are not role models, but <laughs> well, Andre de Grasse should be. Simone Biles should be. Uh, so all these people that are at the top of the game and have done this should be the superstars. I think the biggest difference, you, you cannot ever question Jennifer Lopez's work ethic. If you knew much about her, you would be amazed what that woman has accomplished. But the biggest difference, of course, is Olympic athletes are not doing it for the most athletes have to have jobs and it's not like they've got huge sponsorships on their way up. So they're doing it purely for the physical ability and the dedication. It's mind boggling what someone has to go through psychologically, emotionally, and then physically. I agree. And I'm not, I'm sure Jennifer Lopez and Ben <laughs> Affleck have done tireless work, but anyways, <laughs> well, it just it shows the different type of headlines yeah. that we're reading. But let me introduce the topics. We have another exciting show. Okay, go. We have a couple of topics we're going to talk about. And, and some of the topics, I actually don't agree with the articles that I pulled from it. So okay. we'll see. The first one I want to talk about is we all know, especially in the service industry, candidate ghosting is a major issue. So I read an article talking about micro commitments. And I was like, Yes, I've talked about micro commitments of how to get candidates to the next step, but this article is giving micro commitments that are total bullshit. So I'll cover that. <laughs> okay. The and you'll second, tell us why. Okay. I'll tell, tell you why. why. Okay, good. Second topic is Tim Sackett wrote an article and we both read it and we mm -hmm. actually were talking about it initially. I'm like, yes, can college recruitment has been screwed up for years. Mm -hmm. And in my time, actually, one of my first job in recruitment was recruiting from campuses. And I friggin' hate it. I did not last long. And I was shocked to read that it hasn't really improved. So looking forward to talk about that. Mm -hmm. And the last topic I want to talk about, because this seems to be a trend right now, Every recruitment department is really busy and the gaps are showing. The process are breaking down. I want to talk about why you should hire an external person to look at your recruitment process and not have mm. someone internally. But let's talk about the first topic, which is candidate ghosting. I've had candidate ghost issues, especially in the US in any type of recruitment that I've done when it comes to high volume, high turnover type roles. There is not a lot of commitments. I'm talking from anything from retail to truck drivers, manufacturing, those types of roles. This article, when I saw it on ERE.net, I was like, oh, this is intriguing. So what do you mean by micro commitments? It's something that's used in sale all the time. So mm -hmm. You're never really going to be asking for the sale on the first meeting, but you might meet with the client and be like, hey, can we set up a time for next week to meet and discuss further? They say, yes, that is a micro commitment. You're basically getting them to the next step till you get to that final step. 
this is really similar what we should be doing in the candidate experience. I am talking to a uh, candidate. I want to book an interview. I will get them to do little steps to make sure they commit. I will even ask them, are you going to take transit or are you driving? Yeah. And be like, oh, actually I'm driving. Oh, perfect. I'll send you the Google map, the fastest route to get to our office. That creates a micro commitment on their end because they've already said, hey, I'll be driving there. And then I'm sending them a Google map saying, hey, here's the fastest way for you to get there. You get that commitment. You can do that in many steps being like, hey, if we can align with what the salary is, do you think this will be a role that you'd be interested in moving forward with? That's the type of micro commitment. Does this all make sense, Shelly, as I'm it going does. through? It does. It okay. does. We have talked about this. So what was it in this article that you went, that doesn't really line up because I read the yeah. article as well. Reading the article is the step one was build an attitude statement into your job ad. What he's saying is hiring for attitude is, is the biggest thing that you should be looking for mm -hmm. when you're hiring. And I'm like, well, how do you measure that? It's, mm -hmm. it's a little bit of a gut feeling. But what he says you should be doing is in your job description, you should put an example as high performers at Acme Corporation have a collaborative and team focused attitude oh, for okay. him. Yeah, yeah. Is it like I'm gagging? Oh just my god! And, and another one. Are you no, optimistic? Then hurts. you've got some of the necessary attitude. And his thought around this right. is if the candidate reads that and they'd be like, "I'm not really a good attitude. I'm not going to yeah, apply." Yeah, like this. somebody's actually going to say that they that they exactly. don't. That is not what I mean by micro commitment. The second one is give the candidate a small test. Okay. I'll give oh. you an example. So you mm -hmm. ask the candidate mm -hmm. in a sentence or two, please describe an attitude you would have that would make you successful at Acme Corporation. By them writing that is they're giving a micro commitment. And no, I disagree. I think you're just going to put anything that you think the recruiter is going to want to hear. You're not committing to anything. It might actually do the opposite. To me, micro commitments is completely different is get them to confirm to the meeting, give them the example that I did as far yep. as how are you going to get here? You text them in the morning, be like, hey, just want to make sure you can still make it. I can change it if it doesn't work. If they say yes, that close to the interview, your chances are of them mm -hmm. showing up is way higher. So what's your overall thoughts on this article? When I read the article as well, as soon as somebody says you're testing the candidate, I just feel it's a trick. Yeah. And when I read that, I just cringe. I didn't research this person that wrote the article. Are they even in recruitment? Like, why would you test a candidate with something so idiotic as asking them a dumbass question and expecting this to be a simple answer because you've created it? It doesn't tell you anything asking somebody... How could they possibly know what the right attitude is to work at your company? They've never worked there before. That's absurd. It is. And it, it is. So, so the gentleman's name you. is it's Mark Murphy. He's the CEO of Leadership IQ and is a New York Times bestselling author. His books mm -hmm. include Hiring for Attitude, 100 Percenters, Hard Goals. Yeah, just yeah. probably never going to read any of those books. So. <laughs> okay. 
Okay. God bless us for being honest here. Yeah, I'm with you. Like the candidate ghosting, whether it's to the interview or you've made an offer, they've accepted the offer and they're supposed to start. I have a friend that owns a, a pub and for them to hire somebody and then find out your first shift is say Saturday afternoon and that person not show up, that happens 50% of the time. Mm. interviewed in person, said they would, and then they just don't show up. However, I think why it's getting so much attention now is because it's crept into other industries that I don't think we'd seen it before. I 100% agree. I think it's creeping into roles that we never thought of, even more senior type roles that candidates are ghosting. My advice, if you're getting ghosting, depending on what you're hiring, uh, get those micro commitments by asking those questions. But the one tool that I used to eliminate almost 100% ghosting when it came to driver was the text messaging apps that are available out there. I know recruiters are listening to you when you talk about that you'd follow up with them, call them, text them that morning. And they're thinking, are you fucking kidding me? When am I going to have time to do that? Can you tell us what was the app that you used for that search so that well, t- recruiters there- can actually find something? Because you're right. I know there's no time in the day to be making three phone calls just to make sure the five people interviewing today are going to show. Yes, I, I agree with that. And sometimes you have to because it actually takes more time to find other candidates than the ones that are going to show up. Sometimes you have to prioritize that. But the best tools, you should yeah. check in Miss Larry. Okay. Uh, the other one that I've leveraged is our friends at Rectex here based in Vancouver. They have a great texting platform as well. Do look at tools because this can all be automated. It can be, you can even get them for these types of roles to apply from text. And then it guides them throughout the whole process. I think we'll talk about that more in other episodes, but it's not expensive. You can schedule your candidates to get text before the interviews. It saves you a ton of time and they do show up when they're getting those texts. It's worked for me. I saw it firsthand. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Thank you for that. So let's let's go on to our next topic. I am a big fan of Tim Sackett. He wrote the book, The Talent Fix. Love it. Great book. We've had him on the show. And yeah. they, he's also on HR Famous, the podcast. So when he writes something, which is like every day, I sometimes wonder, does this guy ever run out of gas? Honest to God, he's, he writes something every single day. So he wrote this the other day about campus recruitment. And as I read it, I was like, okay, so they call it college recruitment or new grad recruitment. And he just expressed like how messed up the whole process is. I thought if you've never been involved in campus recruitment, you might think, oh, that's an American problem where essentially you have to conform to the university. They dictate how you will have access to their graduates. And it varies. I know U of A was different than U of C from the University of um, Saskatchewan from UBC. So if you've been involved in those programs, it's not unique or specific to American universities and colleges. And, and I think Tim says it really well in that it's really almost this protectionist type of attitude that campus career services, their attitude of the only way to access our graduates is through us. And I think back to the years that campus was my responsibility corporately and what we had to do to compete. If you're one of the big five brands, it it may be easier. And I know, I think you worked for a big five brand, didn't you, when you were doing campus? 
search? I was Shoppers Drug Mart. Oh, okay. No, big brand. Yes, they are. Yeah. yeah. What I mean is versus a company like NMAX, they would hire five grads a year. So Shoppers yeah. Drug Mart would probably hire three or 400 uh, pharmacy yeah, grads, That's right? where we hire pharmacists. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. And you're hiring hundreds. It's almost the opposite strategy. Small companies. And that's where Tim's article was driving at was as an employer. And yes, I may only need five engineer and training new graduates or whatever the, the call is. It's really hard. It's really hard to even get access because every one of them is so different. Unless you have somebody on your recruitment team that can navigate through that, it's more trouble than it's worth. Yeah, there's a couple of things from uh, Tim's article that I agreed with. And one of them, is there a more useless job in the college university space than career services? Because first of all, a lot of these people coming out of college have no clue how to interview. They have no clue how to look for a job. And I'm thinking, isn't that career services like domain and career services is still living in the 1980s. I still get requests to go to career fairs all the time on campus. And it's funny. I did one a couple years ago in the tech space. I was new to the company. They had already signed up and I'm like, guys, we are just going to waste our time because first of all, we don't hire people from college. And secondly, I'm like, we're going to talk to 150, 200 people, and we are going to need to follow up with all of them because they're going to know what's the next steps. Like, why should I work for your company? Do we have an internship? So it just piled a ton of work. And 99.9% of the candidates I talk, I would have never hired, but I still need to either reject or delay a lot of these potential candidates. So it's just a giant waste of time. And and I feel about that with any job fair, any career event, I think they're the biggest waste. But career services still focuses on these. Unfortunately, in the US, there's not really been a platform that has consolidated all this candidate information right. or these graduate information. There's three big ones. I think Handshake is the biggest one in the mm-hmm. US. It's a platform that uh, you can do several things, but it's also a database. You have to pay as a company to have access, but it's still bullshit. I was playing around with it last night and I just couldn't figure it out. Then there's Yellow, Brazen is, uh, is another provider. And, so yeah. there's not one. And one of the things that he mentioned in the article LinkedIn had the opportunity to consolidate all of this and they decided there wasn't enough money in it for them to really focus on it. I think they might be regretting it because LinkedIn Mm. would have been the perfect tool to consolidate everything. Well, it's not too late. Is it too late? When it comes to new grads, it's like there's every year you're getting a new crop. And I agree. I volunteered with our local university here in the city and tech schools and I'm always shocked when I'm talking to students because I always ask them, what is career services telling you? For example, they were telling their students, this is career services at our local university, telling students that applicant tracking systems actually um, read your resume and you'll be rejected. And so they put this fear in these new grads. They wanted me to talk about how to game an applicant tracking system. How to get past the bots. I think we've talked about it before. I'm like, there aren't any bots. The fact is you've got 200 people applying for one job. One job. Like none of you have experience. 
So yeah. the only decision is what were your grades? And your grades being able to predict your success on the job, about 50% of the time, it's right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So typically it's used in nursing and there are other careers where they take your GPA and that's how you float to the top and get an interview. And the turnover of nurses after graduation within their first two years is like sometimes as high as 70% turnover. That's how accurate grades, just because you got a good grade in pediatrics doesn't mean you're going to make a great pediatric nurse. Imagine that. So using grades as the deciding factor. I love the idea of LinkedIn capturing you. That's it's like your full career life cycle. You could have tracked and it gives equal access to find you as a candidate. Yeah. And I think the whole education sector, that model has not been disrupted and it started to be disrupted with COVID. The other point, Serge, that Tim made I don't know if he really made it as strong, but some of these platforms that allow you to go in and find, I think he was referring to Handshake, where yeah. you go in and fill out an employer profile and it gives you a ranking and you can't change yes. it. So that was yes. interesting. The other thing, and I've done a little bit of research on Handshake, but my understanding that is that if you want access to students from specific universities like Harvard or Princeton, the cost to the employer is significantly more. Now, if that does not promote that elitist thinking, I don't know what, like even telling employers, if you want access to these new grads, it's going to cost you 10 grand to interview one person from heart. I don't know what the prices are, but I do know it's based on the university. So interesting. Yeah. So it's broken. Uh, and if you're recruiting in colleges and universities, uh, it's a really tough time. Mm-hmm. My advice, avoid those career fairs. They're a waste of time. Oh, and don't I agree. Me, a virtual career fair is going to be better. In reality, try to find these people separately. And there's, there's ways of doing that. The last topic I want to talk about is a lot of recruitment process are in, there's pressure. Uh, mm-hmm. Anytime there's pressure, things break. And we're starting to see a lot of recruitment process across the board break because there's just that volume that's going through. So any flaws mm-hmm. in their process and how they're spending money and like everything from your interview process to your selection process to how you go to market, mm-hmm. things are breaking. I've always thought that you should not do that internal audit yourself because you are going to be biased. A lot of the times, if you are the TA leader or the HR leader, you probably created that process. When you're putting a process together until it's put under the pressure test, you don't know how well it's going to work. So My thought is you should have someone externally come in and take a look at it and not do it internally. What's your thoughts? Of course, I agree. And there's so many reasons why, whether it's your recruitment process or your accounts payable process. Companies, there's a reason that they bring in an external expert. And I think first and foremost is somebody from the outside or an external team They have no emotional attachment to how it became this way. It's just, what is it? If you have, again, I I think you mentioned the emotion of maybe embarrassment. Hey, I built this process. It worked at the time. We needed a fix. We needed a Band-Aid or a patch or whatever. So we started doing this and it didn't break or didn't cause a problem until we had a like a 3x increase in requisitions. Someone external has a lens of it doesn't matter. We just need to figure out 
how are you doing it now? And where are the bottlenecks? The other thing is if you're internal, the bottleneck may very well be what we call maybe a squeaky wheel. And that may be a hiring leader or a senior manager, someone within the organization who for some reason has a really loud voice. And what I I mean that metaphorically, that is they're the ones, there may be that resistance to have any sort of friction with that person when you know that perhaps they're the bottleneck. And as an internal employee, am I going to have the courage to stand up and say, it is the director of procurement or whoever it is, I'm just making that up, but it's say it's this specific person who is the bottleneck in this process. Because they are like, they're not getting back to me. They never give me feedback and they never keep their commitments. Oh, okay. So me as an internal TA manager is going to call a director out. I don't think so. I don't like if you ever want cooperation from them, it needs to come from an external party. Shelly, what should be the trigger points of you conducting an audit on your recruitment process? So two things, and it's the two extremes. And the one extreme would be either one of the symptoms would be that you're not getting the volume of candidates you used to, or the opposite, which is interestingly enough, I think equally a problem is when you are getting 10 times more candidates, you're trying to fill one or two jobs and you've got 700 people applying that indicates a problem. Mm. The other problem is when positions stay open for six months or 12 months. That's another big indicator that something is very broken. What's your experience been? I, I, I agree. I think there's a couple of things. You should be looking at your recruitment process, no matter what your stats are or how everyone is feeling internally probably at least once a year to every two years to really see where the flaws. When you're stuck doing the same thing over and over again, it becomes secondhand. In reality, you're ignoring better ways of doing it, best practice. Mm -hmm. I I actually hate best practice, better practices (laughs) uh, that you just have not really kept an eye out because you feel it's going fine or you're trying to resolve things as it goes. So I release a recruitment process, seems to be working fine. I do some tweaks here and there, and it's a little bit better, but those tweaks are affecting other areas. Then it becomes a whole mess when you suddenly go from, say, 50 recs as a company to 500 recs. All these tweaks break. And that's happened Mm. to me very recently where I'm like, this is perfect. It's flowing. Then suddenly we went from 50 to 250, man, it all broke almost all at once. And I wish I had audited those parts of the process of Mm -hmm. how they fit together. And Mm -hmm. honestly, a third eye on it really does well because I know I'm a TA leader. And if I'm looking at it myself and my own company and I built it, probably going to be biased that I think I did the right thing. There's probably things I could have fixed. I'm on the page. You should have it at least every two years. You should in-depth audit your whole recruitment process. And mm-hmm. when I say audit, Shelly, what do you think? What would you audit initially? I would start from the start. And that is take a look at how the approval process flows. And, and how do you go from 50 recs? And in your defense, Serge, and in every TA leader's defense, what you build for 50 recs, maybe 50 to 150 recs a year, 
would probably be sustained. There's a reason also that you did break fix or patchwork. And I guarantee I don't even have to ask. I know the reason why was they would not approve the budget to get an actual tool robust enough to manage where you see yourself as an organization in three years. That's why you patch it. And that's why the Frankenstein comes apart at the seams when you really stress test it. Starting with, first of all, historically, are you doing 700 requisitions a year or are you doing 7,000? And what is the business forecast? Because if you're currently at 700 and the business forecast is to go to 10,000, you better believe that what you have right now is going to be a big problem. And if you're trying to do it with the same resources, same tools, and the same people, you've got a big problem. Because 700 requisitions a year is very different than 10,000. And that process is very different. So it's like any business practice. If what you do today, based on where you as an organization will be in three years. Now, if you don't have that information, then okay, carry on. And if you assume that your company will stay status quo, that is people leave, we replace, people leave, we replace. So it's always same for same. And that's all you do. Which Well, is- I think you should... Always prep for scaling. I think it's a responsibility to prep everything we do in the in the chance that your company will scale, you're ready for it. That's just my thought. So the flip side is when you're working for an organization that's done nothing but cut back. And we ha- we all have friends in the oil and gas industry here and in the energy sector who have seen nothing but shrink. And so they're left with these monstrosity systems where at the time... They honestly thought the the pot of gold was always out. And now we've seen nothing but a good 10 years of cutback. You had a team of 11. Now you've got a team of four and you're still expected to do that much work. A recruitment is only there to replace essential roles. That's very different, but it's very much a reality. Anywhere you look around the country, they're going to have industry sectors where things will shrink. Yeah, no, I don't disagree with that. I think those are unique situations as a TA leader. A lot of the times those companies don't have TA anymore. It's HR that's doing the recruitment. I always believe that it's our duty to make sure that our systems and process and everything we do is at top of our game. So sometimes that does take an external auditor or an expert in the field to come in and take a look at it. So Mm-hmm. Good topics, Shelly. I'm assuming this weekend you're going to be reading People's Magazine to figure out what's <laughs> going on with with Benefer and. Oh, see, and you do know. See, you wouldn't have known. You wouldn't wow, have known that. Of okay, I have known the truth that comes out. The like truth comes out. Years ago, but I didn't know yeah. if they were back together. I thought she was. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought she was dating A Rod. So. She was. Yeah, and. So interestingly enough, they break up. I don't want to know more. I don't want to know more. I don't, Shelly. I'm sorry. I'll be watching the Olympics, (laughs) seeing world-class athletes and cheering our Canadian. And for U.S. listeners, oh, yeah, U.S. listeners, how does it feel to lose in soccer against Canada for a female's first time in 20 years? And the worst thing is hearing Megan Rapino, who is the star of that team, saying, oh, it's really bad losing, but like losing to Canada is even worse. And I'm like, suck it. <laughs> and we are going to win that note. <laughs> exactly. So on that note, have a great weekend. Thank you, everyone, great. for listening. Talk soon. Bye, Bye. now. 
The world's best-known investor and Wall Street expert Warren Buffett once said, Wall Street is the only place that people ride to in a Rolls Royce to get advice from those who take the subway. Mr. Buffett's quote is remarkably accurate, but how many people would rather receive advice from him than someone simply guessing? Welcome to Buy, Hold, Sell, your single source for Wall Street knowledge and profitable guidance. Please join me, Todd Schoenberger, and fellow trader Tobin Smith, as well as host Veronica Dudo, for a podcast known to move the needle for investors. Tobin and I are seasoned Wall Street executives with deep investment experience, and we are prepared to share our advice to those who choose to listen. Download Buy, Hold, Sell today on the Evergreen Podcast Network or your favorite podcast channel.